Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screens behind me, above you, in front of you. It'll be on our screen. 1 Peter chapter 1 on this Mother's Day Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. My mom's here with me today, so I'm grateful for that. In fact, tomorrow at 8 a.m., if you want to get on poolside, you might hear some dirt on me when I was growing up. Mom's going to be with me on poolside in the morning. So 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 22 through 25. And I want to speak to you on this Mother's Day Sunday on the subject, born again from the same womb. Born again from the same womb. The most dangerous place to live in America Statistically speaking, according to the statistics, the most dangerous place to live in America is not one of the the cities that has decided to defund police. That's not the most dangerous place to live in America. The most dangerous place to live in America, according to the statistics, continues to be the womb. One pastor said it like this, How can we be womb to tomb when the womb is a tomb? Over 60 million abortions and counting. God have mercy on us. Uh, Tanya and some of our ladies in the church recently, they had the opportunity to hear the uh, testimony of a young lady in a ministry called Blazing Hope Ranch. And it's a ministry that helps women heal out of the sex trafficking trade. They escape or they're rescued they help them heal. And this testimony of this one young lady, because oftentimes in that, in that trade, they're forced to have abortions. So this young lady has had four abortions. They heard her testimony in Christ, had four abortions. And I want to show you a picture. One of the abortions was, was, was twins. So I want to show you a picture that she sent to me to show you. She wants you to see it. It's a picture of four stuffed animals wrapped in a blanket at the foot of this cross. And each one of these stuffed animals represents one of her babies. And because she has put her faith in Christ, she understands that any guilt or shame that she has carried, Jesus took upon himself at the cross. And that she's been forgiven of all her sins. And she knows the reason she has those stuffed animals there, she knows that her babies are right now in heaven with Jesus. She knows that. And she's exactly right. And on this Mother's Day, you may be asking, well, is there anything I can do in light of the most dangerous place to live in this country being the womb? Is there anything we can do? Well, you can join Tanya and I and sign a petition today from Right to Life that says we don't want Planned Parenthood coming to Chattanooga. Planned Parenthood is planning on coming to Chattanooga. And to sign this petition, it gives your voice a voice to say we don't want them coming to our city. So you can do that. Also, we're going to be partnering with Blazing Hope Ranch. Uh, and, and there'll be different ways that you can s- s- uh, serve, volunteer, uh, even support that ministry. So stay tuned and listen up. That's coming. I want to say a word to all the ladies. Uh, if you have had an abortion, God stands ready to forgive you. If you're in person or online, doesn't matter. God stands re- You ask him to forgive you, he'll forgive you. And by the way, uh, your baby is safe in the arms of God in heaven right now. And one day, if you're in Christ, you'll see that baby again. And hey, church, it doesn't matter uh, for any parent if your baby has died in the womb or outside of the womb. It doesn't matter if it's miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion, or out of the womb. Listen to me. 
Every baby that dies inside or outside the womb is safe in the arms of God in heaven. That baby's with Jesus right now. King David said it like this when his baby died. King David said, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. What a glorious promise from God's word. Now, most of us were not born from the same womb physically, right? Just because we're all born of women doesn't mean we're born of the same woman, right? You may have siblings or born from the same womb, but, but we're not. But Peter makes it clear in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 25, that when we're born again, there's one womb, one imperishable seed that saves us, all of us. When we're born again, we're born again from the same womb. So I want to read this text, and then we'll unpack it together. So if you're there, say I'm there. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Here we go. Ooh, get ready for God's Word. Here we go. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, all and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray today that your word, living, abiding, enduring, and lasting, will pierce our hearts. That everything in this world is fading away. It will all pass away. Every bit of it. But your word stands forever. Your promises are never broken. God, I pray you'll pierce our hearts today. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us. I pray for people to come to faith in Christ today. Either in person or online. We ask it right now in Jesus' name, and God's people said, all right, here's our takeaway. God's Word must take center stage in your world. I want you to look at this stage. And, and what is center stage? Now, let, let me get out of the way. How about that? What's center stage? Every Sunday, I walk up here, I take God's Word, and I place it right here. <laughs> Why is that? Because God's Word takes center stage in our church in the body of Christ, in the family of God. God's Word takes center stage. God's Word should take center stage in your marriage, should take center stage in your family, in your workplace, in your heart, in your desires, in your thoughts, in your goals, in your dreams. God's Word should take center stage. And here's why. I, want, I, don't, I just want to say that, and you believe it and accept it as gospel truth. I want to show you why from the Word. So I want to give you four reasons why this is so critical, that God's Word must take center stage. And you are, here's the first reason. We are established by the Word. You know, you can go to a city or a town or a state and somewhere, a business or maybe a family, you may see a sign that says established and then a date off to the side, right? Well, we are established by God's Word. God said, in the beginning, the Bible says God created, and God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
And here's what God said. It's very good. See, we're established by God and by his word. Physically, but also spiritually, we're reborn, born again by the imperishable seed, the word of God. We are established by God's word. Here's here's how Peter says it. 22, look at this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Purified your souls. That is a present participle, meaning it happened in the past and the results are ongoing. So I was made right in the eyes of God when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And then God just doesn't take me to heaven then. He leaves me here. But I'm to grow in Him. I'm to be sanctified. I'm to grow up in the Word. When you're a baby, you don't stay a baby. You grow up spiritually the same way. You come to faith in Christ. It's ongoing results. Purifying. Sanctification. Growing up. That's what that means. So how does this happen? Uh, Peter tells us how it happens. By obedience to the truth. Now, you may be thinking, well, is Peter teaching some kind of works-based salvation that I have to obey, I have to do something in order to be saved, I have to do something in order to be purified, I have to do something? No, no, no. He's not taking faith and throwing it out the window. Peter is not ignoring the necessity of faith in relation to salvation. What he's doing, he's defining faith. He gives it a definition And the definition of faith is simply this. Because remember, we're saved by grace through faith. So what's the definition of faith? He puts it right here. Obedience to the truth. You want to know what the definition of faith is? Obey the truth. That's the definition of faith. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And we hear it by faith. means we hear the truth, we obey the truth. Well, how do we know what truth is, right? I mean, what is truth? How do we know? Well, God's Word tells us what truth is. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them, purify them, consecrate them. In the truth, your Word is truth. (laughs) The Bible says the Bible is truth. You say, well, the Bible might might be biased about the Bible. So is there any outside evidence that would say, yes, the Bible is true? Well, there's overwhelming evidence outside of Scripture. That says the Bible is true. In fact, you know the Bible was written. Now, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Every word, every verse, every chapter, every book. And it's breathed out by God so it can be breathed in by you and by me. But all Scripture is breathed out by God. But God did use people to write it down. He had 40 different authors. 40 different authors. Many of them didn't know each other. They lived 16, over the span of 1,600 years. Three different languages. Greek, Aramaic, and, and Hebrew. Three different continents. Asia, Africa, Europe. So 40 authors, 1,600 years. Three different languages. Three different continents. One redemptive story. <laughs> how, how are they all writing the same thing and they never even knew each other? Because God... All Scripture breathed out by Him. And, and, and here's the glorious, glorious truth. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. You might want to write this down somewhere. You start in Genesis, you go to Malachi. What you have in the Old Testament is the anticipation of Jesus. The Old Testament is the anticipation of Jesus. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. Anticipation of Jesus. 
Then you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. There you have the manifestation of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The incarnation of Jesus and the manifestation of Jesus. Then you get to the book of Acts. Ooh, and God, God brought power in the book of Acts because we have the proclamation of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Old Testament anticipation of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the manifestation of Jesus. You get to the book of Acts, proclamation of Jesus. You get to 1 Corinthians, you go all the way through to Jude. The epistles is all about the explanation of Jesus. And then you get to the book of Revelation, and you have the consummation of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so Jesus, you know, if you had one person fulfill 48 prophecies, that's a one in one to the 157th power chance of that happening. That means you put a one down and write 157 zeros to this side of it. That's the chance that one person would fulfill 48 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. The whole Bible's about him. He fulfilled all these prophecies. The sheer volume of, of original manuscripts we have on the Bible is over 5,000, over 5,300. The closest one to it is Homer's Iliad. There's only 643, and the world takes that as gospel truth, yet the gospel truth has 10 times more manuscripts. Hey, the, the, the evidence is overwhelming that this truth is truth, and all of this Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it, not just the approved of Scripture, not just the agreed upon Scripture, not, not just the cross-stitch Scripture or the bumper sticker Scripture, but all of it, not just the Hobby Lobby Scripture, but all of it, not just the tweeted or posted or liked Scripture, but all of it is breathed out by God Himself. And church, apart from the Bible, there's no additional revelation needed. No additional revelation required. For you to know how to live the Christian life and to follow Jesus. It's all in here. All of, there's nothing else needed. It's right here. And we're not called to be okay with the truth. Okay, all right, I'll tolerate it. I'll tolerate the truth. We're not called to tolerate the truth. We're not called to be okay with it or simply say it or simply weigh it or simply relay it. We are called not to be okay with the truth. We're called to obey the truth. Obedience to the truth is what we're called to. It's what God calls us to do. That our souls are being purified from and through and by your obedience to the truth. Here's a second reason why the word should take center stage in your heart and in your life. Number two, we are to cherish the word. We're to love the word. We're to treasure the word. We're to Develop a sweet tooth for God's Word. Man, delight in God's Word. Uh, we're to stay in it, abide in it, love it. And here's what will happen. Look what Peter said. Here's what's going to happen. Verse 22. If, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Look at this. For a sincere brotherly love. Man, when we love God's Word and we obey God's Word, it, it begins to foster in us a love for His church. That's what it begins to do. It begins to foster in us a longing to be with God's people. A love uh, to serve one another and prefer one another and encourage one another and forgive one another. That all comes from this right here. The more you get into this, the more God is going to do a work in you that gives you a longing and a love for God's people. Now, some of us are a little more difficult to love than others. 
All right? Don't look at your neighbor. Right? Some of us, we, we, we love pointing out each other's faults so much. We do it like we're going to get a reward for it. Like we're so passionate about it. But God has called us to love one another. So how do we, you know, it's hard to forgive somebody. It's hard to prefer somebody. It's hard to, to love each other. That's not easy. That's why the, 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 the New Testament tells us to, to bear, bear with one another. That, that literally means to put up with one another. That's not easy to do, is it, sometimes? So how do we do that? It starts in God's Word. We have to stay in His Word. And so Paul sa- um, Peter says it like this, for a sincere brotherly love. Again, the word sincere means without hypocrisy. Like in, 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 in these days, over 2,000 years ago, their actors would wear masks. They called them hypocrites because they'd put masks on and pretend to be what they weren't. And so literally this means, uh, you could read it like this, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, uh, for a sincere brotherly love, uh, for a without hypocrisy brotherly love, or literally for without a masked brotherly love, which a masked brotherly love is one that pretends to be who you're not. Love doesn't do that. Biblical agape love is not a fake pretend love. Have you ever, you ever run into somebody and they weren't expecting to see you, and when they see you, they change their face real quick? They, they turn around and get it all together and turn back around. I'm great, I got it together. That's fake, right? That's not, that's not sincere brotherly love. That's not the picture we have here in Scripture. The picture we have here in Scripture is that of, uh, that of Paul to a Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Every time the word sincere is used in Scripture, there's another word. Sincere love, sincere faith. Paul, Peter is not saying, hey, sincerity is all you need. There's a lot of people who are sincere and are sincerely wrong. Or they're sincere about Buddhism, or they're sincere about Islam, or they're sincere about this religion, or they're sincere about that religion. They can be, but they can also be sincerely wrong. There's one way, one truth, one life. It's Jesus. It's what this is all about. And so here's how Paul told Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Listen to this. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Go moms! Right? Go moms! Instilling that word in your children. And I'm sure this word dwells in you as well. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the word. From childhood. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Sincere love. Sincere faith. Brotherly phileo love is the word. A love for brother and sister spiritually in the body of Christ. And here's what happens when you love each other sincerely. When you love each other just raw and real. You know what happens? We saw it happen in our church recently. Your love for Sarah English's family, your love for her family, has resulted in multiple people coming to faith in Christ. And we're hearing about every other day there's another one that we didn't know about. There were several saved at her funeral. You know why? Because they saw the outpouring of love. Real, raw love. Not fake love. Real, raw love. And when we love each other, when we fall in love with the Word of God, and we begin to love each other, you know what God does? He shows lost people real love. He he shows the lost His love through us 
something they've never experienced, and they can't wait to get a hold of it. Man, this is why the Word of God must take center stage in, in, in our world. And, and look what it says about this love. Love one another earnestly. Like, that's fervently and deeply. The picture is that of, uh, think of it like this, a muscle that is stretched to the limit of its capacity. Like think of a, a, a football player that's stretching out for the goal line. Just stretching out as far as they can. Think about a horse that is in full uh, stride. Stretching out. That's what this word means. It's a stretching out to reach, to go the extra mile, to reach out. The Bible says that that our love covers a multitude of sins. Hey, isn't that good news? Covers a multitude of sins. Why? Because our love for one another, when we stretch that love out, when we go out on a limb and forgive one another, when we go out on a limb and prefer and love one another, Man, God does some amazing things. So God's love is the pavement that's paving the way as, as, as a love for God's word and a love for God paves the way. We're able to go the distance for one another. So go the distance. Love each other deeply, earnestly, fervently. Love one another. And hey, this is going to help somebody today. Listen to this. Got another news flash for you. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ without being twins you know that you don't have to agree with the person sitting next to you on everything you don't have to and you can both be in the family of God you can both be brothers and sisters in Christ we don't have to be twins to be brothers and sisters in Christ so cherish the word and you'll develop a love for one another here's the third reason why the word must take center stage in our world We will never perish according to the word of God. My soul, we will never perish according to the word. You know, this life is coming to an end. You know that? And again, verse 24 and verse 25 is a picture of the brevity of life, how short it is. Life is short. Life on this earth is short. The older I get, the more life resembles a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end of it, the faster it gets. You ever notice that? The older I get, the faster. I say, man, I just turned 45, now I'm 47. What's happening? Dude, I was just there. Just, it, why? Because life is so brief. It's but a whisper. It's but a vapor. It's but a mist. It's, the, life in this world is so short. And that's what this means, that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the grass withers, the flowers fall. Think of how quick springtime comes and goes. It's gone in a flash. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Not for a long time. Not for a time and half a time. Forever. Like it's life without end. What a glorious promise from God. And here's how Peter says it. Since you have been born again. Notice this, not of perishable seed. This body is perishing. Uh, This is a perishable seed. This tent is going back to the dirt. It is, this physical body. But not our soul. Our soul remains forever. Two things remain in all of eternity. The Word of God and the souls of men, women, boys, and girls exist forever. Forever. So if you're born again, not just born, reborn, spiritually, born again, 
uh, to a living hope, born again of perishable seed. And look, look, look at this seed. It is living and abiding. It didn't say it used to live and abide. God's Word right now today is as alive as it was when Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. Just a, living and abiding, living and enduring, lasting and living forever, never to end. The living Word of God. What does it mean that the Word of God is living and abiding? In fact, two questions. What does it mean and why does it matter? It, 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 on, on Mother's Day in 2021, what does it matter to me that the Bible's living and abiding? Let me give you one of the best examples in Scripture. John chapter 11. Jesus knows that his friend Lazarus is going to die. Jesus also knows that his friend Lazarus is going to come back to life because he's going to raise him from the dead. Jesus knows that. He knows that Lazarus will live again. He knows of the glorious future of Lazarus. He knows that. So let me ask you a question. Why? Why is Jesus weeping at the tomb? Why is Jesus weeping? If he knows Lazarus, although dead, is about to be alive, why is he weeping? This is why the Word of God living and abiding matters and should matter to you. Here's why. Although Jesus, for those of us who have trusted Christ, although He can see and He knows your glorious future, that is true. At the same time, He is compassionately present in your pain. He is present in your pain. He hurts when you hurt. He weeps when you weep. Isn't that a, a glorious thought? The compassion of our Lord. That's why it matters. That's why it should matter to you. You know, journaling through the Gospels, I've, I've learned a few things uh, since we've been doing that, going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, one thing I've noticed is every time Jesus was around death in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every time he's around death, death, dies every time it's fascinating you know amy carlson uh, was known as mother god this was a, a leader of a, a cult and she was found dead in april of this year in denver and her followers there were, there were seven of them who had mummified her and was keeping her in the house like she'd been there for a long time se several several months or and so these seven were arrested. Aren't you glad that, that Jesus' body will never be found on this earth? Aren't you, aren't you glad about that? That we serve a risen Savior? It's, it's, it's separate. The resurrection of Jesus separates us from all other belief systems. Because Jesus is alive. He bodily rose from the dead. And right now, He is at the Father's side in, in glory. And so this is why this is important. All flesh is like grass. It all withers. It all falls. 
so wh- where does Peter get this? Peter is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8. So why is Peter quoting an Old Testament book? Why is he doing that? Does he just need a space to fill in? So did he take the scroll? Did, 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 did Peter take the scroll of Isaiah and just kind of flip through and just put his finger somewhere and say, okay, I'll use that one? Is that what he did? No. There's an intentionality and a reason and a purpose for taking Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 and dropping it right here in 1 Peter 1. There's a reason for that. And here's the reason. In Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, the people of Israel are in their own land and they're being ruled by a king from the house of David. But when you get to Isaiah chapter 40, God's people are no longer in their land. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple is, gone, is, is ransacked. The people are in Babylon, worshiping a pagan king. They're in exile. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, reads this way, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. How are they going to be comforted? Then he writes this. Grass withers, flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This was written to a group of people in Isaiah 40 who were in exile, who were not at home. They weren't home. They were strangers in a strange land. They were wanderers in this world. They were passers-by on this planet. They were in exile on this earth. When Peter uses this verse in 1 Peter 1, guess what? He's writing to exiles. Isn't that glorious? He's using a word from Isaiah's day when God's people were in exile to apply to Peter's day when they were in exile to apply to us today when we're in exile. Why? Because the word is living and abiding. It never dies. It applies to any believer in Christ who is not home yet that we need to be comforted. How are we comforted? The word of God. It stands forever. Three things remain. There is a God. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. He has spoken to us by his word. He means what he says. Here's the last reason, and we're done. Last one, God's word takes center stage in our world. How how do we know this? Here's how we know. We are nourished via the word. We we are nourished via the word. Uh, Here's how Peter says it. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news. You know, Job, of all the things you can find in the book of Job, uh, there's a diet plan in Job. Do you know Job had a diet plan? Anybody looking to lose some weight? Either physically manage your weight or spiritually manage your weight? Nobody? All right, y'all are in shape then, huh? So Job has a diet plan. You want to hear Job's diet plan? Here you go. It um, reads this way. Job says, I've not departed from the commandment of his lips, God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. That's a pretty good diet plan, isn't it? God, give us grace to do the same, to cherish your word, to be nourished by your word as much more than our portion of food. That Jesus said, man, should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so here's how Peter said, and this word is the good news that was preached to you, that was delivered to you, that was fed to you that nourished you, that this is the word that was preached. This is the good news. Hey, the good news is not good until it gets to somebody who needs to hear it. Then it's good news. 
And it's preached to them. And they believe what was preached to them. Here's what was preached. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Not in accordance with the world. Not in accordance with the government. Not in accordance to some mandate. Not in accordance to the flesh. Not in accordance to this religion, that religion, this opinion, that preference, this belief, that belief. But in accordance with the Word of God. Christ died for our sins. He was buried on the third day, rose from the dead according to the Scripture. That is what was preached to them. This good news was preached to them, and they believed. Well, how then can they call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe without someone, without hearing? How can they hear without someone preaching them? How can they preach unless they're sent? For how beautiful are the feet of those. Now, you know this better than I. The only, people that, the only person on the planet that think your feet are beautiful is your mother. Period. But the Father says here, hey, your feet are beautiful if you'll take this good news to the ends of the earth. See, once we're saved, it doesn't end there. We're to abide in the Word. We're to grow up in the Word. We're to dwell in the Word. We're to stay in the Word. We're to be nourished by the Word. You don't just read it one time and say, well, I've already read that. No, it's living. It's abiding. It's food for our, for our souls. So stay in it. I ask you to send in your favorite books and author this week on a text platform. I said, send in your favorite author, uh, book and author. Besides the Bible. And so really three categories of books that I received. One was spiritual, fictional, uh, practical is how I would describe them. So some of the spiritual ones that were sent. Heaven by Randy Alcorn, Desiring God by John Piper. How about this classic? Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers. Awesome. Uh, Abiding Christ by Andrew Murray. Classic. Uh, just some great spiritual works. Fictional, we have uh, Tom Sawyer, Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, Tom Sawyer, Mark Twain, others, others like that and in that field uh, that, that were fantastic. Then we had some practical, more practical books. In fact, we had one that was very practical. Outwitting Squirrels. 101 cunning strategies to reduce dramatically the egregious misappropriation of seed from your bird feeder by squirrels. That's the title. Bill Adler, boy, he, he'd had enough, hadn't he? Somebody sent in one of my books, and they texted in, but before they sent that they added a comment. You don't have to add a comment. And they said, I feel obligated. <laughs> you don't have to say that. Leave that part out. Obligated. I don't know. And then we had two of our own, Holly Ford. Uh, Letters to a Church Girl by Holly Ford was one of them. And then here's a new book by Skip Baldridge. Many of you know Skip. He's written a book called Chocolate Covered Cream Field, The Donut Gospel. He, that, that's one that we got as well. So there were tons of them. Gone with the Wind. Uh, man, so many. Bringing Up Boys by James Dobson. Redeeming Love uh, by Francine Rivers. I mean, just tons of, of good works. But here, I did that for a reason. I, I wanted you to go through that exercise for a reason and here's the reason have you ever read your favorite book or, or while reading this book 
every time you pick it up, every time you open it up, every time you read anything at all from it, every time you pick it up and read it, has it happened to where every time you do that, the author is sitting right beside you? Has that ever happened? You know, there's one literary work, there's one, one literary work whose author has been, is, and will always be present whenever it is read, wherever it is read, by whomever it is read. And that is the Word of God. Every time you read it, every time you repeat it, every time you quote it, every time you memorize it, every time you share it, the author is present every time. That ought to be enough, church. It ought to be enough to cause us to make God's Word take center stage in our world. And we need to do this. We need to, 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 to make God's Word or, or to place God's Word at center stage in our world. It's all breathed out by God to correct us, to train us, to save us, to, to, to reprove us. It's the bread that feeds us. God's Word is the counselor that comforts us. It's the divine that, 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 that became flesh and dwells among us. Uh, God's Word is the everlasting that establishes. It's the fire, the Bible says, that, that cleanses us, the gospel that gospelizes. The Bible says the Bible is the hammer that shatters us. It's the Word of God. It should take center stage in our world. Why? Because it's the imperishable seed that saves us. It's the, the joy that juices us. It's the key to the kingdom that keeps us. It's the light that guides us. God's Word is meat. The Bible says the, the Word is meat that that, that, that satisfies us. It's the milk that nourishes us. It's the mirror that reflects us. It's the, the power of God that empowers us is the Word of God. It's the revelation that transforms us. God's Word is the sword, the Bible says, that cuts us. It's the truth that sanctifies us. It's the water that washes us. So here's what we need to do. We need to get into it. We need to journal through it. We need to abide in it. Uh, we, we need to incorporate it. And believe it. And, and, and we need to live it. And we need to obey it and know it and memorize it. We need to pray it and read it and sing it and tell it and rap it and voice it. Whatever you can do, fall in love with God's Word. Because it should take center stage in our world. I want to ask you, if, if you're in person, just please stand up with me. Would you rise to your feet? If you're, if you're online... Um, you can stand up or you can remain seated, whichever you'd like. I know there's some folks in person and online uh, who have never put their faith in what they've heard about Jesus. Well, today's the day to do that. Jesus loves you so much that although we're all born sinners, every one of us, and we're separated from God due to that, Christ came to take our place, die instead of us on the cross, paid the penalty of our sin invites you to trust in that work and be saved and be entered into the family of God. So today I want to pray with you, if you've not done that, to do that. The Bible says faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So bow your heads with me, church.